This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. It is indeed my privilege to be the host of Radio Parallax, a role I have sought to fulfill for the past 16 years. As part of a long-standing tradition in this program, we like to discuss foreign excursions after making them. We endorse Rick Steves' position that travel is a political act. (laughs) This is something my cat Poncho evidently agrees with. As it happens, this correspondent is fresh back from a trip to Morocco, undertaken with an individual who I have known since the ninth grade, currently a resident of Mill Valley, California, along with my nephew, a resident of Chico, California. We rented a car and spent 15 nights driving from Casablanca in a large loop through the center of the country back to Casablanca, passing through Essaouira, Marrakesh, Benny Malal, and Fez along the way. This is probably worthy of a radio show of its own. I'm entertained by the possibility of having my travel agent assume the role of host and have the three of us who traveled come on as the guest. This could be fun. We may do this in the next week or two, if possible. The extremely short version of a summary of this Sojourn would be to note that Morocco is a cool place, an interesting place, a worthwhile place. Except for Fez. (laughs) For a number of reasons, I took a dislike to Fez shortly after I arrived, and it never got better the whole time I was there. Explaining my dislike for the town will probably turn out to be something rather entertaining, so we're just going to save that one. I do want to note that the knucklehead, alleged to be the President of the United States did not grease the skids for our travel enjoyment while in Morocco because evidently the 2026 World Soccer Championship, also known as the World Cup, also known as the Mundial, evidently came down to a battle between Morocco and a consortium of Canada, United States of America, and Mexico. President Trump, who as far as we know, knows no more about soccer than he does about anything else, decided on a whim, as he decides most things, evidently that it would be good to have the World Cup here in North America in 2026. So he made some vague threats to nations who might be tempted to vote against us. Morocco, of course, lacks that bullying ability and was keenly disappointed to have lost their bid for 2026. This is especially galling in view of the fact that Americans don't care about soccer, in spite of the fact that the youth of America seems to all be playing it. The truth is, and I would qualify this as the opinion of this correspondent only, and not representative of anyone else, but in this correspondent's opinion, it is the most mind-numbingly boring thing to watch this side of varnish drying. I know this is a sentiment widely shared in the United States, And please don't send the hate mail. I know you soccer fans out there get really torqued to me every time I make these disparaging remarks. 
But like it or not, Americans don't care about soccer as a spectator sport any more than they like to watch, say, cross-country running. Also a good form of exercise, not unlike soccer, but just not the best thing to observe as a spectator. So all that said, couldn't we have let Morocco have their day in the sun in 2026? Anyway, enough about Morocco. I do want to do some forward promotion for the second half of today's program, wherein we will have a stimulating interview with Deborah Plant. She's an Africana Studies scholar and literary critic who has a special interest in the life of Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston, back in 1927, embarked upon telling the story of the last, or certainly one of the last, people brought from Africa to America as a slave. Publication of this book has been delayed for close to nine decades, but it finally has come out in 2018, thanks to the efforts of Deborah Plant and others. The title of the book is Barracoon, the Story of the Last Black Cargo. It's a strange title, but it derives from the Spanish word for barracks. Barracoon describes the structures used to detain Africans who would be sold and exported to Europe or the Americas. This book's got a lot of attention from the Washington Post, New York Times, Week Magazine, The Economist, and others. And we look forward to talking about it in our second segment today. But since we're not going to talk about that for another 25 minutes, and we're not going to talk about Morocco, I think what I want to do is just... Take a look back over the past four weeks and just make some comments about what's been going on in the world. Over in Morocco, I studiously avoided following the goings-on of the Trump administration, etc. But I'm feeling in a John Oliver kind of mood, so I think what I want to do is grab the last four issues of The Week magazine and have at it. I think the story that really sticks out the most to me that took place in the month of June was this whole brouhaha over separating children from their parents as part of a so-called zero-tolerance policy at the border. At Radio Parallax, we like to refer to zero-tolerance policies as zero-brains policies because they generally seem pretty stupid. Evidently, Donald Trump, our alleged president, and numerous members of the Republican Party, claimed that this was not a new policy, this was not even a policy. It wasn't their fault they were adopting this policy. This is the Democrats' fault, and nothing could be done about it. All of this was, of course, patently untrue. Thankfully, more and more, the media just takes untrue statements and labels them as such. This is a good thing. After claiming there was nothing he could do about it, President Trump stepped forward and did something about it, which, of course, he could have done at any point. It's a little scary how bad this makes us look in the eyes of the rest of the world. Picking the brains of what brains Donald Trump has, the week speculated in its June 8th edition, in its editorial pages, that Niccolo Machiavelli, the jaundiced student of human nature, pointed out in 1517 that sometimes it's a very wise thing to simulate madness. Editor William Falk said, I suspect President Trump has not read the discourses on Livy, but he instinctively practices what Machiavelli preached. Richard Nixon called this approach the madman theory of foreign policy. Make your adversaries think you're so rabid, so unhinged that you're capable of anything, including launching the ICBMs. Falk notes that our current president has used precisely that message in dealing with North Korea and Iran. He's taking the madman strategy to a new level. 
Somewhere along the way, the executive branch of government has seized the ability to institute tariffs, a privilege that used to belong to Congress. We shall see where the Trump bull in the China shop will lead with all of his whimsical declarations. I think we could do well at this point to stop talking about him and talk about other stuff. Any other stuff. Although, doggone it, the moment I try to do this by citing some stats. We're fond of stats in this program. Who do I bump into? Donald Trump. But here's our stat number one of the day from the Washington Post. President Trump has spent more of the taxpayers' money, at least $17 million, for his weekend trips to Mar-a-Lago. This is more than the $16.7 million the Mueller investigation has cost so far. Stat number two, the Earth, according to Axios.com, as a whole, has not had a cooler-than-average month since December 1984. Yeah, a 34-year run of no months cooler-than-average tells you that something's up. Well, if you believe in all that science stuff. How about stat number three? Kim Jong-un, the goofy dictator of the hermit kingdom of North Korea, has, in the wake of his recent summit with President Trump, attained a higher favorable rating among Republicans at 19% than does House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, who only earns 17%. We think at this point there's really only one way to describe America's Republican Party. Stat number four, according to the USA Today, the combined wealth held by the world's millionaires has increased for the sixth consecutive year, topping out at $70 trillion. That's for the first time, actually. The number of high net worth individuals grew by nearly 10% to $18.1 million last year. The U.S., Japan, Germany, and China are home to the most millionaires, accounting for 80 accounting for 61% of the world's high net worth individuals. I have a friend who used to quote concerns about the Gini index of various nations around the world and the great disparity in wealth between the top and the bottom. He is, however, a Silicon Valley liberal. And although I can think of no place where a Gini index might be more applicable than Silicon Valley, it does not seem to concern him there. We, want to spend, we don't want to spend too much time bashing Silicon Valley today, but we, I did note that in the past month, thanks to a Supreme Court decision, it's now finally been decided that, well, they do have to tax on the internet in accordance with where people make their purchases. The Supreme Court of the United States finally got around to deciding that this idea of giving internet companies, those struggling entities that are you know, just barely getting their head above water, needed to be handed this fantastic competitive advantage against brick-and-mortar stores of not having to collect taxes. Allegedly, a lot of corporations, the big ones, Google and all that, uh, Amazon, apparently have already done so. But for all we know, they're claiming their home country is actually Lesotho, and they're only going to pay Lesotho taxes on their international earnings. There's apparently a movie in the works about uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who pulled off quite a scam in Silicon Valley of coming up with a phony method of supposedly measuring values in your blood by only pricking your finger. The technology never worked, and she lied about it, and people started to unravel her lies. She went on the offensive. 
At one point, her company, Theranos, had a market valuation of $9 billion on the promise of game-changing blood tests. She's apparently had a day in court lately, and I look forward to her being cuffed and taken away and thrown in the slammer for a good long while, something I unfortunately don't think we're going to see. We do think this opens an opportunity for Martin Short in his role as Nathan Thurm to come forward and act as a spokesperson for Theranos. That would be some high-quality comedy. You know, Mr. Thurm, your tests don't work. I know that. You don't think I would know that? I, I would know that. Are you nervous? Oh, you're, you're the one that's nervous. We like taking a bash on a regular basis here at Economists and their utter lack of common sense. And the headline about Americans not having babies and, and the imminent crisis that's going to ensue from this has us skeptical. Economists sweat bullets when, uh, when birth rates drop down below the replacement fertility rate of 2.1 births for each woman of childbearing age. We apparently dropped down to 1.7, and these guys are in a panic because they have apparently no ability whatsoever to figure out how you keep an economy going without having the pyramid scheme of ever-growing populations, something planet Earth, in fact, is not going to be able to sustain. Anyway, you know what I feel like doing? The perennial favorite in this program, the good, the bad, and the ugly. definitely going to rely upon the week magazine for all of these items they noted in the week several weeks back that it was a good week the previous week for overachievement with the news that a north dakota man who signed up to run a half marathon took a wrong turn along the way and decided to complete a full marathon mike kohler age 26 said he realized his mistake yeah hello when you're in your third hour but decided i'm just going to go for it i'm already running it was, on the other hand, a bad week for sincerity several weeks ago. <laughs> the news that the Miss America organization has scrapped what's described as its notorious swimsuit portion. The new chairwoman, Gretchen Carlson, a former Miss America and one-time Fox News host, said, evidently with a straight face, we are not going to judge you on your outward appearance. Yes, we all know it is that inward calmliness that makes you the victor in a beauty pageant. And it was an ugly week a few weeks back for excuses, with the word that an Indian engineer, who has apparently worked only 16 days in the past eight months, has told his bosses that he cannot be disciplined because he's the 10th incarnation of the Hindu god Vishnu. Yes, in response to criticism of his absences, Ramesh Chandra Pfeffar wrote to his manager to explain that he had been transformed into a deity and was, quote, entering into the fifth dimension to change the global conscious. This work I cannot do in the office, end quote. The government agency that employs Pfeffar has said for its part that it has received his note, quote, and our administrative department is processing it, end quote. 
You know, it's funny. Mr. Merlin tried this very same trick a few years back, alleging that he was the incarnation of the god Ganesh and therefore needed the week off, but I wasn't buying it. We have to talk about a few obituaries, I think. First on the list would be Dick Tuck. We've talked about Dick Tuck on this program many times in the past. We thought about reaching out to him. I located him in, in a nursing home a few years ago, but elected not to, to trouble Mr. Tuck in his retirement. He did write for Playboy magazine in the 1970s a hilarious essay titled Watergate Wasn't All My Fault in the wake of the fact that three of the four Watergate figures who testified before Congress claimed that what they were trying to do was develop a, quote, Dick Tuck capability, unquote. We're not going to rehash Dick Tuck's greatest hits on today's program, but I do want to cite the incident of how he got started being Nixon's nemesis. He was a student at the University of California, Santa Barbara in 1950. Tuck was secretly working for the Republican's opponent in the California Senate race, but one of his professors unwittingly asked him to work as an advance man for Nixon's upcoming visit to the campus. Dick Tuck rolled up his sleeves, rented a 2,000-seat auditorium, and then did not publish the event. 23 people showed up. Tuck then proceeded to give Nixon a long-winded introduction claiming that the candidate would now, quote, speak about a subject all Californians care about, the International Monetary Fund. Nixon apparently gasped, did the best he could under the circumstances, furiously asked him his name after the event, and said, Dick Tuck, you've done your last advance. Unfortunately for Nixon, this was not true. Tuck made a habit of showing up at an event Nixon was about to appear in, go over to the band leader, and instruct him to strike up Nixon's favorite tune when he hit the doorway which was, according to Dick Tuck, Mac the Knife. Nixon would hit the door, hear the music, and immediately start looking around for Tuck. We, uh, we enjoyed the hell out of the work done by Mr. Dick Tuck, and sadly also enjoyed the work accomplished by Anthony Bourdain, who also left us by his own hand a few weeks back. He was smart, he was funny, he did a hell of an entertaining program, and I'm just glad I saw him live in San Jose a couple of years ago. I gotta say, in retrospect, one of his anecdotes did stick in my mind at the time as a little odd and seems to fit in to the story that he was given to bouts of melancholy. In his talk in San Jose, he mentioned how he would just get depressed over things sometimes. He was in an airport restaurant, a Johnny Rockets, he said, and went to order a hamburger and described how the guys just produced this sad excuse for a hamburger and slapped a few condiments on him, and he went into a funk. I thought that was odd at the time, and I still find it odd. A hamburger shouldn't have the power to send a man into a deep depression. Anne-Marie Cox, writing in the WashingtonPost.com, noted that Bourdain depended upon projecting a certain image to the world, leaving him to wrestle with his demons in anguished solitude. We're indeed sorry that he has left us, but there is a great body of work which we can still enjoy in spite of his passing, and I, I hope that they will continue to broadcast uh, his visits around the world and his, his pithy observations of the food, the culture, and whatever was going on in the country in question. And uh, something I'm enormously pleased to be able to report upon is the fact that one of our all-time favorite interviews on this program was that of author George Pendle, who wrote a book titled Strange Angel about 
Jack Parsons, a singular figure, a man who was one of the founders of both the Aerojet General Corporation and NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Anyway, the story of John Whiteside Parsons uh, is truly bizarre. He was not exactly a scientist. He never was a student at Caltech, even though Caltech was using him to advance rocketry, advance the JADO packs, form Aerojet General with a bunch of the people from Caltech. At the same time, he was a follower of Satanist Aleister Crowley, who would engage in uh, his esoteric teachings and black magic, literally black magic, involving sex rituals, etc., etc. Quite a guy. This apparently is a, uh, a web-based series on CBS All Access. We have not yet checked it out, but we'll do so by the time we next report to you. I have high hopes for this. It seems that it would be difficult to screw up a story that is so wildly <laughs> entertaining as this one should be. In the three minutes or so we have left, I would also like to report on some good news on the cancer front. A woman with terminal breast cancer with a very short time to live has been completely cured by extracting her immune cells, in this case, tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes, sorting out which cells among these should kill the cancer, growing them, injecting them back into the woman, and succeeding in killing her cancer. Admittedly, she was lucky. This individually tailored form of treatment has helped only 15% of the patients who have tried it. But of course, with further developments, scientists say this new approach could revolutionize treatment for other solid tumors, including those in the lungs and colon, which account for most cancer deaths. Good news indeed. I do have to run down something that Will Durst has posted of late, which I suspect is accurate, which is that there is a close geographical correlation in America between the areas that are currently involved in this so-called opioid epidemic and areas that strongly support Donald Trump. Could this be the explanation for the Trump phenomenon? Well, we don't think so, but we find the findings curious. As we wrap up here, we can pull one item from the totally insane file, which is that Netflix is reportedly asking employees not to look at one another for more than five consecutive seconds. This gaze limit is part of a new sexual harassment guideline issued in response to the Me Too movement that also bars employees from flirting, lingering hugs, and asking each other for their personal phone numbers. Do you think this will succeed? Well, we don't either. And uh, by the way, if you're staring at a fellow employee, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005 times up, and no, we're not aware of how many seconds you have to look away before you can restart the clock. All right, one final goofball item for this segment. Evidently, fashion brand Louis Vuitton hired a shaman to ensure that no rain would fall during a, an outdoor fashion show in France, which took place earlier this month. We do note that no rain fell. We also note that the unidentified holy man from Brazil reportedly only travels by a private jet and commands a six figure fee for his every act of weather control. Anyway, you're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break and 
Come back and discuss a most interesting book, Barracoon, the story of the last, quote, black cargo, unquote. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy his feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head And they keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done He's sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head And they keep falling But there's one thing I know The blues they send to greet me Won't defeat me It won't be long till happiness steps up 